into God's Word. Um, as Brandon said, we're, we're starting back up our Summer in the Psalms series today, uh, and this is now our third summer through it. We, we've made it to Psalm 19, and hopefully by the end of the decade or so, we could actually get through the entire book of Psalms. Um, so go ahead and open up your Bibles to Psalm 19. And uh, this psalm is, is a wonderful psalm of David, and uh, C.S. Lewis actually, in his opinion, thought it, it's one of the most beautiful psalms that is written. Um, it's a telling of God's revelation through two different ways, his creation and his word or his law. And when I say revelation in this context, I'm not referring to the last book of the Bible. Um, I'm instead referring to this idea of how God has chosen to reveal himself or to make himself known. So David uses the two aspects of God's revelation, his creation that we're, we're surrounded by every day, and his word that we have here in our Bibles to write this rich and beautiful psalm that was intended to be sung. It was written to the choir director. And we, that last song that Chris sang for us was actually the second part of Psalm 19. So we'll probably sing it again next week. Um, but today we're going to cover the first part of Psalm 19, um, verses 1 through 6. Uh, and this, this will allow us to focus on each aspect of God's revelation, breaking it up this way. The psalm does work together holistically, um, but there is a pretty sharp break after verse 6, jumping into verse 7. Um, so this will allow us to focus on the revelation of God through creation today, and it will help keep the sermon a little bit shorter. Um, so Psalm 19 begins by describing God's general revelation, or how God reveals himself through his creation, this world that we live in. So I'll pray for us real quick, and then we'll read the first part of Psalm 19 and see what God's word has to say. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that um, we're able to gather together again. Although it's not back to what we're used to, Father, I pray that um, this time can just be glorifying to you and enriching for us as your body coming together. Father, I just thank you for who you are, that you've made yourself known, and that we have come to know you, that we have life in you. Father, I pray that as we go through your word this morning that you can just be speaking to our hearts and our minds, Lord. You can be convicting us of ways in which we need to be repentant, Lord. I pray that we can be encouraged um, and just lifted up by what your word has to say. Father, just thank you for this time and be with us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So starting off in Psalm 19, verse 1, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day they pour out speech, night after night they communicate knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words, their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming from his home. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to their other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. So the title for today's sermon is Creation Reveals the Glory of God. Creation Reveals the Glory of God. And in these first four verses, we see David is pointing out and then elaborating on how God's creation points right back to its creator, God. 
And then at the end of verse 4 through verse 6, we see David takes the son as an example to poetically illustrate what he's explained in the first four verses. So let's get into it then. Our first point for this passage is, his glory in creation is unmistakable. His glory in creation is unmistakable. Verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. The universe, the stars, and the sky above us declare and proclaim the glory of God and the works of his hands. David has spent many days and nights staring into the crystal clear sky, the coming of thunderous clouds, the epic expanse of starry nights, and his conclusion is that they declare the glory of God. But what is this, this glory of God? What does the word glory mean? It's definitely a word that's used throughout the Bible, and it's a word that we use when we speak of God, and it's something that we typically include in our prayers. But do we have a good grasp of what God's glory is? And defining glory, it's not like defining what a football is. With a football, we can describe what it's made out of, its shape, how it works, how it feels, what it is used for. But the same isn't true for glory. It's not this single specific object that we can take hold of and point to and say, this, this is it right here. So what is it? What is God's glory? What are the heavens proclaiming in Psalm 19? A definition that I've settled on that relates, it relates God's glory to his holiness. So what is God's holiness? With holiness, we're speaking of God being set apart or being in a class of his own because of who he is with all of his divine attributes. As one man put it, God's holiness is what he is as God that nobody else is. His infinite perfections, infinite greatness, and infinite worth. So then with this idea of God's holiness, him being set apart completely distinct, we can define the glory of God as the holiness of God made manifest. God's glory is who God is that no one else is being put on display for us to perceive and to understand. Isaiah 6.3 describes this well. Isaiah says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. Note that it doesn't say his holiness fills the whole earth, but his glory fills the whole earth. So we see that God's glory is this manifestation or this displaying of God's set-apartness, if you will. And when we take the time to look at creation all around us, we see it is filled with examples of God's divine attributes that no other thing has in common. He is holy, he is set apart, and his creation declares and proclaims it. So going back to the first verse in Psalm 19, when David looks up into the sky day or night and takes in this vastness and wonder that is above him, it displays what sets God apart from everything and anything else. His awesome power to create from nothing, to speak life 
into existence. His infinite control and knowledge to sustain a universe filled with galaxies, including this little planet that we live on that is brimming with life. And not only do the heavens and the expanse above us proclaim these things, but all life on earth, especially humanity, does as well. You and me, all of us here, our neighbors, co-workers, children, even the people that drive us crazy and annoy us, proclaim the glory of God. And it's probably not in the way that you're thinking, so let me clarify. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. We are image bearers of God himself. Let that sink in for a minute. We are innately designed and created to glorify God. We bear his image. All of us have acted or spoken in ways that do not glorify God. That is very clear. But who we are as humans, that we have emotions, that we have a will, we are creative, we can reason. All these things point to the glory of who God is and who he created us to be. It is unmistakable. And it points to the loving, creative, and all-knowing God who knit us together. So whether it is the heavens above us, the people around us, or the rocks beneath our feet, God's glory, the working of his hands, is unmistakable when you take a moment to look and see this beautiful, God-glorifying world that we live in. Now, David expounds upon this idea of creation declaring and proclaiming God's glory in verse 2, which takes us to our second point. His glory in creation is unceasing. His glory in creation is unceasing. Verse 2 says, Day after day they pour out speech. Night after night they communicate knowledge. David is building upon his point in verse 1 that creation is unceasing unceasing in its declaration and proclamation of God's glory. Day after day, night after night, creation pours out speech and communicates knowledge to remind us of God and his attributes. Going back to something I said just before the second point, is that if we were to take a moment, a minute, to actively look, observe, to think and dwell on all that is before our eyes, we would unmistakably see God's glory, his manifest divine attributes, because creation never ceases to pour out and proclaim who God is as its creator. Paul talks about this idea in Romans 1, in verses 19 through the first part of 20, he says, since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. It is all laid before us. Creation can't help but declare it, yet we are so blind to it. We go about our days paying no actual attention to what is before us. The heavens and expanse in this universe that's above us the massive and majestic mountain that's in our backyard, 
the animals, trees, flowers that we see every day, the people that we drive and walk past, all pour out speech and communicate knowledge to us of who God is and his divine attributes. We can miss what God intended for us to see and learn and remind ourselves about who he is. A great passage that portrays this thought is in Matthew chapter 6. So turn there with me to Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25, and we'll read from there. Matthew 6, verse 25, Jesus is in the middle of a sermon on the mount, and he's addressing his disciples and the crowds that were there, and he's telling them, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? As Jesus is talking about this idea of worrying, which we have all struggled and wrestled with, he asks those listening to him to consider the birds of the sky and the wild flowers in the field. For by taking the time to consider how God cares for a simple little bird, and how God can create and bring life to this beautiful flower with no effort on its own, we end up seeing the bigger picture of who God is and how he cares for his creation. We see the glory and the greatness of God. And if he cares for, provides for, and gives life to little birds and wildflowers, how much more would he do for us, those who bear his image? And we know that God owes us nothing. We, we don't deserve anything from God. We've broken that. We've ruined that. But by looking at creation, we see a compassionate, loving, life-giving, and life-sustaining God. And we can learn and have proof right before our eyes that there is no need to worry, for God cares about all he has created, even little birds and wildflowers. This is not to say that God's word and his promises found in scripture aren't good enough either. I want to make that clear. If anything, I think creation serves as the evidence or the illustration of all that scripture tells us. So how often do we consider what is in plain sight? How often do we see and understand the message creation is trying to remind us of? Preparing for this sermon was such a humbling and life-giving time because the more I read and studied for this, the more I began to slow down and dwell on this awe-inspiring, God-glorifying place we live in. I mean, Mount Shasta, of all places, is beautiful, right? 
I'm home with the babies a couple times a week while Remy's working up at Fairchild and Wairika. And in order to keep the babies and myself sane, we have to uh, go on walks because inside for countless hours on end is too much for any of us. So I'll take them in long walks in a stroller, whether it's around our neighborhood or we'll go down to the lake. And normally during those walks, I'll fill up that time by listening to something on my phone, like music or a podcast, and we'll be on our merry way. Everyone's happy, right? Um, But in these last few days, I've been paying attention and slowing down a bit to be a bit more observant of everything that we walk past. And let me tell you, God's creation is pouring out speech. Whether it's listening to all the unique sounds of chirping birds or or gazing upon the size, stature, and resilience of these massive evergreen trees that line our roads and trails, I am seeing the beauty, the creativity, the power, the attention to detail, and the sovereign rule of our mighty God. And I'm praising him for this beautiful world that he created that we get to enjoy. So may David's psalm and Jesus' words be a challenge and a reminder to not forsake this unceasing knowledge that creation communicates day after day and night after night. And who knows? His creation may just remind you of a promise like that of a bird not needing to worry because of God's everlasting love and care. As David moves on in Psalm 19, we see a couple more unique characteristics about how God is made known through his creation. This takes us to our third point. So turn back to Psalm 19 with me, and we'll read verses 3 through the most part of verse 4 there. Starting in verse 3, it says, There is no speech... There are no words, their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the world. The third point here is that his glory in creation is unspoken and universal. His glory in creation is unspoken and universal. So what David is descri- has described in this first part of the psalm is this, gen- this idea of general revelation, meaning that God has revealed himself through his creation. David says in verse 2 that this revelation through his creation is pouring out speech and communicating knowledge. But after reading verse 3, it seems like David contradicts himself. Now all of a sudden he's saying there is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. And then in verse 4 he jumps right back to what he was to saying, their message has gone out to the ends of the world and their words to the ends of the world. So what is going on here? What is David trying to communicate? I think David is doing the best he can to describe how this, this revelation of God has no audible words or speech to it. How the skies or the trees don't speak of who God is out loud. But at the same time, they do communicate a message. They do communicate these words David speaks of visually. And this is nothing new to us. We all know the power and an impact that an image can have or a piece of art can have. As the saying goes, a picture is worth a thousand words, right? And what is so great about this visual revelation of God is that it is universal. 
As David says in verse 4, their message has gone out to the whole earth, to the ends of the world. This revelation of God from the heavens and skies above, the nature and wildlife all around us, can speak to anyone regardless of language. This revelation of God has no language barrier. One commentator described it as, creation is a wordless book. It's a wordless book that everybody can read because it needs no translation. God has made himself known to all. His creation has spread its message to the ends of the world, which is so awesome to hear. It's reached everywhere. But it also makes us all accountable because all have heard this message. Going back to what I had read in Romans 1 earlier, we'll reread what I already covered and continue on a bit farther. So turn with me to Romans 1, starting in verse 19. Romans 1.19 says, Since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them, for his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. And so this is where I finished before, and this is where we're connecting to our current point in this idea of being held accountable. Paul says, as a result, as a result of all this, God's message being known to all, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals and reptiles. Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. And Romans 1 calls us all to account that although God's creation has communicated this visual revelation of God, we did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Paul goes on to say in verse 25 in Romans 1, we have exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the Creator. We have all desired, treasured, and glorified things or people other than God, who is the only one who deserves to be treasured and worshiped and glorified. And Paul actually uses verse 4 of Psalm 19 which says their message has gone out to the whole earth, their words to the ends of the world, later on in Romans 10, as a rebuke against Israel's rejection of the message of Christ. So whether it's the rejection of God's message through creation or through Christ, we all have stood or still do stand guilty of our sin in rejecting the creator and worshiping his creation rather than him. The good news in all this is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His death and resurrection paid the cost of our sin in rejecting our merciful and gracious creator God 
and guarantees us new life with him from now into eternity. He calls us to simply have faith, to trust in him and follow his ways. And he will take care of the rest. Isaiah chapter 40 has an awesome example that ties a lot of this all together. So turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. Starting in verse 25. Isaiah 40 verse 25 says, To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Asked the Holy One. Look up and see. Who created these? He brings out the stars by number. He calls all of them by name. Because of his great strength and power, not one of them is missing. Jacob, why do you say in Israel, why do you assert, my way is hidden from the Lord and my claim is ignored by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Youths may become faint and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. The God who created the stars and sustains them day in and day out by his great strength and power. The creator of the whole earth who never becomes faint or weary is the same God who strengthens the faint, the powerless, those who stumble and fall. Those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. What a marvelous and hope-filled promise from God who points us to his strength that never weakens nor fails, who never becomes faint or weary, that he will renew those who trust in him. So I urge you all to take in what creation and God's word universally declares to us every waking moment. There is a God, a powerful and mighty God, and we have rejected this powerful and mighty God. But this God desires for you to trust in him, to renew and restore you from the life of sin apart from him. Let's jump back to Psalm 19 and finish up the last couple verses we have to cover there. I'll be reading the last part of verse 4 through verse 6. David says, In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming from his home. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to their other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Our final point for this morning is God's glory is seen in the sun. God's glory is seen in the sun. David has laid a foundation for how 
God and his glory is revealed through creation in verses 1 through 4. And in this last part of verse 4 through verse 6, we see David now provides a real-life example of all that he's previously stated by describing the sun. Notice how David didn't simply just say, wow, look at the sun. Wow. He took the opportunity to paint a picture with this poetic language to draw his readers into the brilliance of the sun and ultimately the brilliance and the presence of God. He begins by describing how God has placed the sun in the sky as one pitches a tent. This is where God has caused the sun to dwell and to perform its duties. He then describes the characteristics of the sun as a groom on his wedding day, bright, radiant, excited and full of joy as he leaves his home and heads to his bride. Just as the sun is bright and brilliant as it heads across the sky from east to west each day. He adds on to this to describe how it travels its course as an athlete rejoices running his course. The sun follows its set path each day, tirelessly working and always moving forward to its finish line each day. And David finishes the first part of Psalm 19 with a powerful statement, nothing is hidden from its heat. Nothing is hidden from its heat. As the sun pours forth its light and heat to all the world, so God and the revelation of himself through creation reaches the ends of the earth and no one is missed. God has made himself known through his creation. It speaks of his glory day after day and night after night, communicating the unspoken yet universal message of an almighty and powerful God who is worthy of our attention and our affections. May we take the time to slow down and see what God's creation has to say about our day. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we, we are so astounded when we take a second to look up, to take in the skies above us, to see how powerful you are in creating and sustaining all that is around us. Father, your creation declares your glory, how mighty and majestic and powerful and knowledgeable you are. Father, I pray that we here can slow down to take notice of the beauty of your creation. We can slow down to to see the working of your hands so that we can hear the, the speech that is pouring out from it. The, communi- the knowledge that's being communicated from all that you've created, God. May it ease our hearts at times. May it remind us of promises from your word. As you said in Matthew 6, Lord, may it help us to not worry. May it help us to not fear. May it help us to know and to trust in who you are 
and how powerful you are and how knowing and present you are in everything. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful place that we live in. I pray that we can take the time to rejoice in all that you've created and may it point it right back to you. May our praises be directed to you. May we worship you and exalt you as the mighty God you are. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.